We've all been hurt. We all have scars. And through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can all overcome and we can all be healed. Welcome to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. Hey everybody and welcome back and welcome to the third part of our series on Reluctant Believers. We're going to continue to piggyback off of part one of the series where we had a brief introduction to a few leaders in the Bible. And we're going to look at why they were reluctant to see how it applies uh, to us in our lives today. All right. Now, in our last section, we spent time in Peter's beginning. Now we're going to look at Gideon. And we find him in one of my favorite books of the Bible. Um, we find him in Judges. Okay. Now, specifically, uh, for those of you who like to follow along in your Bible, uh, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 6 uh, to start. Now, before we look at this introduction, we need to look at what's happening to the Israelites. And to do this, we're going to start at the very beginning, and like I said, Judges chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. And this is going to paint the picture of where they were at at this point. Okay, And this is really going to help us to kind of bring into perspective why Gideon is the way he is when we get introduced to him. So the Bible says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Wherever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their, their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you to the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. All right, so we see that the Bible says the Israelites have messed up again. So much so that, the, that, that God has let the Midianites just roll in and run roughshod over them. All right, they've taken over and they destroy everything. You might be wondering who the Midianites are here. They're a nation that came from Abraham's second wife, Keturah, who he had a half dozen sons with. Uh, and you can read about this in Genesis uh, chapter 25. From them, the Israelites were constantly going back and forth and fighting through the years. Um, to say they were a thorn in their side would be putting it mildly. Uh, in Numbers 
uh, chapter 31, um, verses 1 through 20, the Bible tells us that the fighting got so fierce that the Israelites had nearly wiped them out. Essentially, the Midianites, they're like rabbits destroying farmers' crops, and the farmer deciding he's had enough of them. The problem was, much like a farmer who didn't resolve their rabbit issue, the Midianites were able to repopulate and start causing issues for them again. Not only that, but the Israelites had also gone right back in the gutter. They didn't trust in God. They didn't lean on him as they should have. Instead, they became such entitled brats that God said, enough is enough. And for seven years, let the Midianites have their way with them. The Midianites were so oppressive that they totally overran them. It was so bad that judges, when you look at verse 2, verse 2, the Bible tells us the Israelites were living, if you could call it that, in caves, mountains, and other fortifications. All right? But they were hiding for their lives. They were hiding. Okay? Plain and simple. In verses 3 through 6, the Bible tells us they couldn't hold on to anything. Every time they tried, it was taken or destroyed. It's like having a puppy that's teething that hasn't been trained yet. Everything gets chewed up. And that's what's been happening here. Uh, like, you know, all their toys, bye-bye. All right. Now, they, they basically, they had to hit rock bottom again. They had to go right, you know, right back in the gutter to remember that they needed to turn to God. And that's exactly what they do. Remember, when we're looking at Peter, we, we discussed, you know, don't take your eye off the ball. Don't take your eye off the ball. The Lord should come first in every single situation. And the Israelites were getting reminded of this. They were caught up in the good times. They, start, they turned to worshiping their idols instead of God, which the Bible tells us we're not supposed to do that. Matter of fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 34, uh, go to verses 13 through 14, the Bible also tells us that God is a jealous God. And it's specifically talking about, you know, worshiping of idols there. All right. And that brings us to um, Judges uh, chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. And we finally, this is where we meet Gideon. All right. Uh, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So again, Gideon is a farmer, and he is in hiding. This is not the picture that we would normally have of a general, especially today. Um, however, not all armies over the centuries have been built like ours and just on the go 24-7. Many had jobs that they tended to until they were needed. It's kind of, basically kind of like our reserve units today. you know. Um, and just like troops today, many had plans for after service. Now, you know, it, it, normally when separating the wheat grains from the useless outer shells, this would be done in an open area where the wind could pick up and blow away the lighter pieces that basically they get tossed in the air, all right, and then just blow them away. Um, 
However, if Gideon had done done this in the traditional way, he would have been an easy target out in the open due to all the different raiders and marauders that had overrun the area. So instead, what we see here is he's using a wine press. And most likely, it was in a cupboard or, or basically a hidden area that, you know, to, to the normal person, um, you know, it wouldn't be suspected as a place where they would find crops. It would be something that they'd overlook. And, and again, you know, they're living in caves and mountains and all. Everything that the Israelites did at this point was in secret. Going out in the day it was just dangerous at this point, okay? It, their life as they knew it had been turned upside down. Uh, I love the greeting that's used here, though. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. See, things are about to turn around. And just like the Bible told us with Peter, the Lord is starting by speaking a change into Gideon. He's empowering him. The very, the very definition of to, the very definition to empower is to make someone stronger and more confident, especially in controlling their life and claiming their rights. Something we're about to see Gideon so desperately needs. All right, so from that, we're now going to look at verses 13 through 22. And the Bible says, Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please don't go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went inside, prepared a young goat, and from an epoch of flour he made bread without yeast. Putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them, on this rock and pour out the broth. And so Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that this was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Wow, there's a lot going on here. So we see in verse 13 that like Peter and everyone else in the world, really, Gideon's full of doubt. Full of doubt. We're all full of doubts. If it's not one thing, it's another. 
All right. So, but Gideon, he's so full of doubt. He doesn't even believe that this is actually the angel of the Lord and questions him. You know, like Peter in the sea, he's focused on the world around him. He questions the issues that his nation is dealing with and what appears to be God's lack of help. You'll notice he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that it was their own fault that brought them to this point, that the troubles that they were facing were because as a nation, they had turned from God. You know, have you ever noticed when things are tough, people are quick to point fingers, blame others, you know, or even to blame God? You know, if, if, you, if you're so powerful and you love us so much, why aren't you helping? You know, and, and there are places in the world that are war-torn. People are starving and suffering. And you'll notice those are often some of the same places where God has been, been, has been pushed out. Places where missionaries risk life and limb to go and share the word. You know, uh, this should be a reminder to turn to God when things are tough. You know, we all need to confess our own sins and pray to him. Now, the Bible says that he continues on here. And we, we look at verses 14 through 15, where even after he's told, hey, go, you've got a mission. He not only says that his family is weak, he puts himself down even further that you know that he's the weakest of them all. Oh, woe is me! You know, uh, he he has such a poor self-image that he can't even believe he's worthy enough to be in the presence of the Lord. Right now, Gideon's very much like Eeyore. You know, oh, nobody wants to be my friend. Nobody loves me. You know, his, his depression is quite real. And, and again, in verse sixteen, the Lord is telling him he will be with him and that he will win. And you'll notice it's the same as he told Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Yet, Gideon challenges things yet again. Now, let me remind you that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, the Bible tells us, You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. Yet, that's exactly what's happening here. And Gideon is going to find out why shortly, why we shouldn't test the Lord. All right. Now, let's go to verse 22. This right here, this is Gideon realizes that this really is the angel of the Lord. It goes, uh oh. Oh boy. This is really the real deal. And much like Gideon, we all find ourselves focused on our own limitations and our weaknesses. People often will use those as a reason to take the easy out and to make excuses as to why they can't do things. Don't make excuses. Instead, tell God how you really feel about what's going on. But then, once that's done, do what God wants. Do what God tells you to do. All right, now let's see what the Bible has to say now in verses 23 through 24. The Bible says, But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Oprah of the Abyssalites. All right, so 
getting scared. He not only sees the reality that's in front of him now, he's afraid he's about to die. Why? Why is he afraid he's going to die? Well, because the understanding is that nobody can see God's face and live. You know, we learned that from Exodus. However, Gideon believed that this also applies to seeing this messenger that's in front of him. So right away, he's told, hey, buddy, relax. You're not going to die. It's going to be okay. All right. So we're going to continue on verses 25 through 32. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father, father's herd, the one, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town demanded Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So, because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerubal that day, saying, Let Baal contend with him. Alright, so, um, quite a few things here. Uh, first of all, uh, I just want to address the name of Baal. Now, B-A-A-L. There's a couple ways to pronounce this. Uh, some of you might be might be familiar with hearing it as Baal, and others Baal. Um, there's a few other ways, but those are typically the two um, most common ways to pronounce that. All right. Now, let's take a look at this. Even after several assurances, uh, Gideon's still scared. He's not entirely acting like a soldier as of yet, uh, let alone a general. You know, he's afraid of what others will think of him. He's not realizing that God is testing his faith and his commitment to him. And tearing down the idol that everyone in town worshipped, Gideon was seen as rebelling against society and the government. You know, this was a symbol for them. So he acted in the darkness and the shadows. He did what he was told. However, he did so in the most cowardly way possible. The, the Bible tells us that when the deed was done and found, the townspeople wanted to kill him. Off with his head! You know, but they settled for giving him a less than choice name instead. 
you know, a reminder that when you do what God wants, it's not always going to be the most popular thing with a lot of people. Matter of fact, more often than not, it's not going to be the most popular thing. Um, you want proof of how this works? Watch the news. What's biblical versus the more popular worldly choices are on display there every single day. Um, however, the old rule still stands firm. Do the right thing for the right reason, even if it's not popular. Um, I can't tell you how many times my grandpa told me this. This has been um, a little something that's followed me throughout my life, and I've shared it everywhere I've gone around the world. Do the right thing for the right reason. Some of you have probably even heard that yourselves. You know, it's not a new concept. It's been out there for decades, if not centuries. In one form or another, it has been out there for a long, long time. All right. So we're going to continue through here. And now we're going to be looking at verses 33 through 40. So we're really breaking it down and really going through this, these chapters uh, this time. Um, Gideon, let's see here. This is where we're going to see Gideon starting to pick up uh, some confidence. All right. Bible says this. Now, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout uh, Manasseh, calling them to arms. And also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, I'm probably butchering this name, uh, Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you had promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me to become, I'm sorry, allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered in dew. All right. A lot there. It took me a second there. I was trying to flip over my page, uh, as you probably heard. Because I am reading from my own personal Bible on this. All right. Um, so, again, you know, this right here, this is where Gideon's gaining confidence. Yet. As we see here, he's still challenging God and asking for more signs and wonders, all right? He's, so he's, he's still not quite sure. Now, to some, it, it may seem like he's looking for encouragement. And it's a thin, thin line, because the Bible tells us in verse 39 that Gideon even says, do not be angry with me. See, he, he knows he needs to start treading lightly. You know, be careful what you ask for, because... There may be an unexpected price for it. And regardless of whether he meant to test God or just needed more building up, he was still moving forward in what he was told to do. 
which ultimately is the right thing. All right, so now we're going to continue into Judges chapter 7 and verses 1 through 8. And here we, we see the price to pay for testing God is it's it, it's it's going to come due very very quickly here so the bible says starting in chapter 7 verse 1 early in the morning jerubal that is gideon and all his men camped at the spring of herod the camp of midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of morah the lord said to gideon you have two many men i cannot deliver midian into their into their hands or israel would boast against me my own strength has saved me now announce to the army anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave mount gilead so 22000 men left while 10000 remained but the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down to their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. So in chapter 6, we see Gideon keeps asking for more and more and more. Just like Jesus asking Peter if he loved him three times, now we can see the Lord responding in kind to Gideon. The Bible tells us he started with 32,000 troops. That's enough to lend confidence to anyone. I don't care who you are. Little trash talks and suits? Yeah, you or what army? I'd say the 32,000 people behind you makes a pretty good argument. So God told him, that's too many. We're going to cut it down. You know, we don't want people being able to sit there and boast that, you know, oh, I, we did it. It's still us. You know, God, that, one, that one, God. So God, God's a... Uh, God's taking care of that problem here as well. So, so God told him, that's too many. Cut it down and to 10,000. Ah, and that's still too many. So God cuts it down again to 300. 300. Now, the tables have turned. You talk about serious number changes here. Now, we're all, let's, let's take a look at these troops. These 300, they're cautious. They're scared. They act like war veterans going into a restaurant. Their eyes are up. 
They're bringing water up in a manner so that they can see all that's going on around them. They're watching the entrances, the exits, the movements, the spacing, etc., etc. They're calculating how to respond constantly. They weren't just slurping away. You know, I mean, these guys, they were hungry, but they weren't letting their guard down. And this is a hunger that only God could help with. For victory to be had here, the 300 troops against all the thousands that were here um, against them, for them to win, there would be no question that God was at work and that God brought this victory. The Bible tells us, when God stands beside you, no one can stand against you. Now, God did one more thing to finish preparing him for battle. And verses 9 through 15 tell us about it. So picking up here, uh, Judges chapter 7, verses 9 through 15. All right. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. You know, starting in school and going into adulthood, it doesn't matter if you're in the military or the civilian world. One of the most consistent pieces of advice you'll find regarding anything is to be confident. When you're playing around at cards, even, you know, what's, what is the one thing that sells a bluff? Confidence. So Gideon snuck down to the enemy camp, and he heard the dream. And here's the significance. See, the, the enemy soldier, he dreamed of a loaf of barley bread rolling into the camp and toppling a tent. Barley was considered much weaker than wheat. It was lesser than. This is the same as the Israelites' band of troops at this point in comparison to the armies of Midian and Amalek. You know, even, even this couple of troops recognized it uh, from this dream. All right. So what Gideon didn't know until now was that not only was God working to build him up, but was working at turning the tides against his enemies. 
You know, we, we only see a small part of the, that big picture. And it's important that we lean into God and do as he wants. The, it's only then that we'll start to see uh, more of that big picture. And, and verse 15 tells us, upon realizing this, Gideon immediately bowed down and worshipped. Something we should all do every single day. All right. So as, as we can see from all this, you know, Gideon, he was a reluctant leader because he felt invisible. He felt lost. Everything around him was in chaos. And like so many of us, he felt alone. Every aspect of his life at this point was done in hiding. There's a lot to relate here. All right. And it's very easy for all of us to relate to it. We've all experienced depression. We've all experienced doubt. And when opportunities arise, we're all quick to say, yeah, right, I'm not that fortunate. You know, we, we should all be very cautious, especially this mindset, to ensure that what's in front of us is in alignment with the Lord. And once we know it is, we need to start moving forward. When we move forward in faith, things start to fall in line. And our own confidence builds. All of this requires us to remember to pray to God in all things and to trust in God in all things. The good, the bad, the ugly. When God comes first, the light shines bright. Thank you for tuning in to Healing Scars with Pastor Burton. If you'd like to know more about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook at Be The Light Sanctuary, or you can visit our website at BeTheLightSanctuary.org. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. God bless.